Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. This morning, as we, we look forward to a new year, while at the same time coming out of this nativity season, coming out of the, the celebration of Christmas, there is this word that comes to mind that, that is in nice big bold letters back there. And it had to do with the, the message that the angels brought to the shepherds. You know, we, we have historically focused on, you know, that there will be peace on earth and goodwill to men. But they also said, fear not, for we bring you good tidings of great joy. Great joy, and it wasn't tidings, uh, good tidings of great prosperity. It wasn't good tidings of great confidence. It was good tidings of great joy, and the message wasn't just for the shepherds. The good news of Jesus, the gospel message, our hope is a message of great joy today. Every single one of us has access to joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. As we begin this new study in the book of Philippians, we see that that joy is available not just in happy times. We see that joy is available not just in the good circumstances, but joy can be had in our darkest moments. And, and to underscore all of that, you just have to stop for a moment and look at who's writing it and where that person is at. The, the author of the, the letter to the Philippians is the Apostle Paul. As Paul writes to the Philippian church, encouraging them to have joy in their lives, he wasn't writing to them from his resort at the Four Seasons. He was writing to them while he was in jail, imprisoned for the faith that he was encouraging the church at Philippi to actually grow in. There's a difference between joy and happiness. We've talked about this before, that happiness is is influenced by external factors. It's not reasonable for us to expect that we or those around us will always be happy. And quite honestly, it would be really annoying if people were. (laughs) Can you imagine how insufferable it would be to have like your coworker just always happy. (laughs) And the reason it would never be something that you would want to be around is because you know it's not real. Because we know it's not possible for somebody to always be happy. That's just, that's not how life works. However, joy is available. And to be clear, the, the reason it's okay to, to expect joy in someone's life while it's not okay to expect happiness is you don't have to be happy about the fact that you're at home sick in your bed. You don't have to be happy about the state of the world that you're living in. You don't have to be happy about your circumstance, but there is still joy to be had in the midst of that. And that should be encouraging that I don't have to just put on my smiley face and say, well, everything's great. 
great. No, everything is not great. I have a friend who just got out of the hospital and almost died from COVID. Everything is not great in that situation. I'm not happy about that situation, but I still have the joy of the Lord because I know who he is and what he has promised. And so as we look out at the world around us and we look at the difference, or excuse me, as we look out at the world around us and we look at the people that we come in contact with, the people that are next to us. When you look at your own life, is it possible that maybe more joy is a good thing? As you look at at where you're at, would, would more joy be a help? I don't know of anybody who says, no, I'm good. I've had enough joy today, thank you. The truth is that we go through hard things in our life. We as a church will go through and have gone through hard things. You as an individual will go through hard things in your family, in your personal life, with your friends, with your neighbors. They will go through difficult things times and difficult seasons. And I have a question for you. If that circumstance that you are praying for, that you are asking God to change and to move and to to show himself in and to ideally remove you from, right? That's, That's what we'd like. If that is the prayer that you are making and God chooses not to change it, will you still have joy? That's a hard question to ask. If in your hard circumstance, in that difficult area in your life that you are praying and asking God to move in and he chooses not to because his timing is perfect, will you still have joy? If that need that you are asking God to meet doesn't get met the way you are expecting it to, can you still find joy in your life? Can you find joy right where you are today? Because so often we find ourselves in this this situation of saying, well, once this thing happens in my life, then I'll have joy. Once this event takes place, once this need gets met, once this person gets changed the way I think they need to get changed, then I will have joy in my life. That's not what we've been called to. We have been called to joy today. Paul was was not a stranger to emotional stress. Paul was not a stranger to physical hardship and difficulty. He recognized the importance of fighting for joy. There's this Southern Christian college that invited a pastor to come and, and speak at their chapel time. And he showed up and there's a, a big crowd and he was doing a great job and, and you could tell that the pastor was not getting the feedback that he was expecting. He, he was preaching up a storm and he was just expecting to get something back from the crowd, but all he was getting from the, the Baptist uh, congregation was just a, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, He was just visually agitated and 
he finishes up, he leaves, and he gets invited back the next year. And so he comes back the next year, and uh, as he comes up on stage, the back door opens, and his church bus is emptying out into the auditorium, and he's brought his entire uh, congregation with him to fill the pews and to teach <laughs> this group that he's preaching to how to respond, how to encourage This pastor recognized that in order for joy to be found, sometimes you need other people around you that are encouraging you. That are encouraging you and, and doing the same thing. That are, are walking the same walk. That are experiencing the same things that you're experiencing. And what Paul explains to the people in Philippi is that the importance of fighting for joy with one another. And at the same time that Paul is encouraging the people of Philippi to come together and to fight for joy, Paul wasn't by himself. Paul had Timothy right next to him, encouraging him. Saying, just, just go a little bit farther. Let's just write the, this, this next letter here. God has chosen you for this time. So the, the first point that we're going to recognize as we go into the, this first step in this series is that God will finish what he starts. If we start with uh, the book of Philippians chapter 1, Verse 1, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it all to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Some of you have been in the church for a while and, and you might have a good idea of who Paul is, who this, this guy Paul is. And some of you may be wondering, who is Paul and why should we be listening to what he has to say? Paul was the writer of a substantial portion of the New Testament and is the one who God chose to bring the gospel from the, the Jews to the Gentile nations, basically to everybody who wasn't a Jew. Jesus saved Paul while he was a Jewish leader who hated Christians and was murdering them. Acts 9, 1 through 19 is, is that story. I'm not going to go through all of it, but here's the, the highlights. Paul is writing 
to go persecute more followers of Christ. Jesus knocks Paul off of his horse, blinds him, and says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Actually, it says Saul, but name change. Uh, (laughs) Now, I don't know about you, but if I get knocked off my horse, if I get blinded from a light from heaven and that same light speaks to me, I'm probably going to change some things in my life. I'm probably going to say, you know, we, we probably need to take a look at my priorities. <laughs> I need to, to make some adjustments. And so Paul goes through this process of, of adjusting his life, of shaping his life to, to who it is that God has called him to. And, and there's an important point that I think sometimes we miss when we look at this. God never chose Paul after he got fixed. God didn't, didn't say, hey, I'm going to choose you once you get your life together, so you better shape up. He knocked him off of his horse while he was actively going to try and kill the bride of Christ. He said, I choose you. I have plans for your life. I have plans that your choices are not going to derail. God is not going to allow Paul's bad choices to derail his plans. Now, maybe this isn't your testimony. Maybe that's not the life that you had lived. Maybe you're someone who grew up in the church. Maybe you never had to get knocked off the horse. Maybe you never had to get blinded. There's another person that's in this, in this book, in this opening sentence, and his name's Timothy. Jesus saved Timothy, who came from a religiously and ethnically diverse background. His mom was a Jew, his dad was a Gentile. And these days, there, there might be some connotations to that. But what I can tell you is those days, there was a lot of connotations to that. That was a big deal to have a Jewish woman and a Gentile man starting a family. That, that wasn't supposed to be that way. And we don't really see that Timothy's father is in the picture. We, we hear a lot about his mother and his grandmother who are caring for him and that are pointing him to Christ. And Timothy and Paul come into contact and, and Paul steps in as that father figure for Timothy. And it's interesting if you look at these two stories, these are two big names in the New Testament. These are two big names in the, the new church. And yet their stories are completely different. Their testimonies are completely different. If we look at one another, if we look at the stories that exist in this room, no two stories will be the same. We see here how different stories, how different lives different people can all be saved through the same gospel. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. But we're not. (laughs) 
Jesus started the Philippian church. If we look in Acts 16, there's, there's a, a lot to be learned in terms of how the Philippian church came about. Kaylee and I took a class and uh, the class talked a lot about what you're supposed to do as a church planter. And, and what, is, what are you looking for? What should you have ready as a church planter? Typically, these days, the, what the Foursquare Church recommends if you're planting a church is you should have about 50 people that are, are coming with you that are ready to just be your core as you plant your church. And you're supposed to have a specific number of resources. You're supposed to have a specific dollar amount. You're supposed to have all of these different things or specific positions that you need to have filled. The church at Philippi didn't really follow that. If we look at, at Acts 16, we see that the Philippian church was, was built through the transformation of a wealthy Asian, a demon-possessed slave girl, and a Roman jailer that would not have been my dream team. That would not have been who I picked. Paul and Silas, they, they walk into town and they, they look out and they see these women over at the, the river and they're like, oh, they must be having a prayer meeting. And so they, they go over and they, they sit down to talk with them and they meet this lady named Lydia who deals in purple cloth. And when you deal in purple cloth, it means you're rich. And so this lady had money. And so they learned that Lydia was a, a follower of, of the one true God, but she didn't know about Jesus. And so they shared Jesus with her and she immediately accepted and, and went, not only did she apply it to her own life, she went to her family and changed her family and her friends and she started a church in her, in her home. And as Paul and Silas are walking around, there's this annoying girl that keeps following them. This girl that just keeps screaming out at the top of her lungs, these two men are servants of the Most High God. And this always makes me feel good. And, and Paul was annoyed in his spirit. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a real guy. He, he's getting tired of, I mean, it's a true statement, but it doesn't make it less annoying that there's this slave girl who makes money for her masters by, by telling people's fortunes. She's demon-possessed. And Paul is tired of having this demon-possessed girl following them around everywhere. And so he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out. And he, he rescues, he saves this slave girl. She's no longer possessed, which means she's no longer of benefit to her slave owners. And now this girl is free. The owners, not so enthused, they, they beat up Paul and Silas. They throw, them in, throw him in jail. And they, they want him executed. Now if it's you or me, typically at that point we're like, man, we were doing so good. We, we were on a roll. We, we got the rich lady at the river, so that was nice. We, we cast out the demon with the, the slave girl, but now we're in jail? And, you know, it's easy to be discouraged at that point, but we see yet another example of circumstance not dictating joy. And so in the midst of being in chains in a Roman jail, Paul and Silas will not be silent. They are praising and worshiping. 
and then the prisoners hear. It specifically says, and, and the, until the prisoners heard. There's an earthquake. And the, the shackles are removed from the prisoners. The gates are broken open. And if it's you or me, we say, wow, that was God answering our prayer. Now we get to leave. <laughs> right? I mean, that's what I would have said. <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> but instead, Paul isn't concerned about his well-being. He's not concerned about his friend's well-being. He's concerned about the spiritual well-being of the jailer. The spiritual well-being of the jailer who's saying, wow, they're all escaped. I got to kill myself now. This is not good. And before he has a chance to do it, Paul says, no, wait, stop. We're all here. I'm going to put my own words into this just for just a second. What, what did that show? What, what was Paul really saying? He was really saying, we, I care enough about you I care enough about your spiritual well-being. I care enough about who you are. I love you, even though you have me chained up in this room, that I still want God's best for you. I'm still looking for God's best in your life. There is a hope beyond anything that you could imagine. There is more for you than just being a guard in this jail. There is a joy that can be yours. The joy that I have been singing about all night while I've been chained up in this room. A joy that I have been singing about while I've been beat and tortured. There is a joy that can be yours if you would like it. Can I talk to you about this joy? And the jailer says, yes, I want to know about this joy. And the jailer goes and shares the, the message of Christ with his family, and his family is changed, and, and we see how joy in the midst of hopeless situations transforms not just a person, not just a family, but an entire city. Not who you would have picked for a church planting team. But that's why God is God, and I'm not. From these unlikely candidates, we see that God is establishing a church, and he's not just establishing a church. He's establishing a church with leaders, with leaders that understand what it means to be a follower of Christ. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that encouraging that God uses messed up people to lead his church? Now, I don't want to be too rude here, but if we stop and look around at Wood Street Chapel, that should be encouraging because we, we have some messed up people at Wood Street Chapel. <laughs> I'm a messed up person. We're all messed up people, and yet God still chooses to use us. 
God initiates relationship with us, not because we are worthy, but because he is gracious. How are all of these different people? I mean, right there we see, I don't think you could find three more different people that are all selected to be a part of God's story. We have a rich person, we have a poor person, we have a slave, we have a free person, we have a Roman uh, citizen, a jailer. How is it that all of these people are present in the Acts 16 church? It's because of grace. I have an important reminder for us. God never needs my talents or my abilities. My inclusion in God's plan actually makes things substantially more difficult. (laughs) Did you know that? Did you know that you being included in God's plan makes it so much harder for him to get done what he wants to get done? (laughs) How much easier, how much easier could he get something done if he was just like, I could just say it. I could just think it. I could, I could just point and everything that I need done would be done. But no, he gives us an opportunity. God thought about me and was working on me well before I ever thought of him. He started a work in me. And can you know something? He's going to finish it. That idea of God not requiring my talent or my abilities is something that becomes very clear and very understandable as a parent, as a father. There are projects that I will start and, and my kids will say, oh, dad, can I help? And because I'm not quite to the, the point of... of uh, parenting that that I esteem to be at some point. Sometimes it's that thought in the back of my head is, well, gosh, I could finish this job in like five minutes if I just said no. (laughs) But you know, some of the best times of relationship, some of the, the most honest conversation that I've had with my kids has been when I've said, yeah, why don't you come and help? Why don't you come in and, and show me how, how we can do this together? And here, let, let me show you. Let me teach you. Let me come alongside you and, and just be with you. And sure, that thing that was going to take five minutes took us an hour. But what did I get? That's what God wants. He, he doesn't need that thing done in the five minutes. He wants that relationship. He wants to come alongside. He wants to be in your shame. He wants to be in your hardship and your suffering. He wants to be with you. God will finish what he starts. When we consider how God is working amongst his church, It should cause us to stop and thank him for this church. We should stop and say, thank you, God, for the people that you have placed in my life. Thank you, God, for the people that I am growing with. 
We are called to thank God for the people that he puts in our life because they are making a difference in us. Our prayers for one another should be filled with joy because we are prioritizing our partnership in the gospel work that we've been called. That's verses four and five, that's what it says. We are not here to run a country club church. That's important for us to recognize, and it's an important thing for us to be reminded about because sometimes it's easy to fall into that, well, this is just what we've always done. This is comfortable. And pretty soon you get to that point of, of just being a country club church. We are here to make disciples of all nations. That is what we have been called to do. God has never left anything unfinished, and he's not intimidated by our incompleteness. When a baby takes the first steps, what do you typically do? You cheer. You're, you're happy, you're excited, you're encouraging. You say, oh, that was great. And when they fall down, you, you rush and you pick them up and you say, oh, you did such a great job. Why is it that we react in the complete opposite way in the church? When there is a, a new follower of Christ that, that comes and, and they take their first steps and they fall down, we don't typically cheer. We, we say, well, why did you mess up? You idiot. Don't you know what you're supposed to be doing? Can you imagine if that's how you treated your one-year-old? They'd probably get taken away. Like, they start walking and they fall down. You moron, you're not supposed to fall down. No, nobody says that. That's terrible. But why are we doing that in the church? Why are we acting that way? Why aren't we encouraging we have to recognize that God is not done with us. He is, because he's not done with us, it means that we're gonna make mistakes. There are things that we are going to do wrong. And when that happens, say, wow, I'm sorry that that happened, but let's get you up and you did great over here. Let's keep that going. God will finish what he starts and in verses 7 through 11, we see that God is still working. One of the primary ways that God works in our lives is through the consistent presence and the affection of a local church. Paul goes like full-on hallmark, sappy, I love you guys in his message to the Philippians. My heart is full because of you. <laughs> and he recognizes that we're all on the same footing at the, the foot of the cross. That the church in Philippi is, is just as relevant to the, the cause of the gospel of Christ, as, as Paul is, as Timothy is, as all of these different people are, Paul recognizes that his church family is with him. Did you know that we can't use 
this church family only when there's a crisis. It doesn't work that way. You can't just come to church and say, hey, everything is exploding in my life. I need help now. And have never shown up prior. It's not because nobody's going to want to help you, but it's because you're not going to be a part of that family. You're not going to have those relationships. You need relationship. We need family. We need to be connected. We need to be committed to one another. As we look at at what Paul is praying for, the church in Philippi, he's looking for growth. He's looking for progression, for a move from where you were today to where you're going to be next week. There's an author that says, God doesn't expect you to be perfect, but he does expect progress. You are not expected to be perfect, but sanctification, that really nice big church word, is where you have that one point in time where you are justified, where you are saved. Sanctification is every day in between justification and glorification. When you are glorified, you're with God. Sanctification is everything in between where you are supposed to be becoming more like Christ. That is a process, and it is a process that requires regular change. God doesn't expect you to be perfect, but he does expect progress. How amazing would it be to have someone come up to you and say, I just want to give glory and praise to God today because of the way you are acting. Doesn't happen very often, does it? (laughs) I just want to give praise and glory to God today because you are killing it today. You are doing amazing. I see the way that you are being used by God, the way that you are freely offering yourself to be used as a sacrifice. And I just want to give God the glory for that. That is so amazing. Hmm. We're probably not there yet. But that's maybe something that we can be striving for. God hasn't given up on you. Wood Street Chapel hasn't given up on you. Should you know more Bible verses than you do today? Probably. Is that habit that you've been trying to break, should that have been gone already? Yeah, probably. Should you have had that conversation with your neighbor that you've been thinking about for months? Probably. God is not intimidated by your shortcomings. God has not given up on you. God finishes what he starts. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are not derailed by our shortcomings. God, we thank you that you are not intimidated by the areas where we mess up. Lord, we thank you that you have not given up on us. We thank you that you will see what you have started through to completion. And God, help us to be encouraged in that. Help us to find joy in that. 
Even as we, we sit in those hard and difficult situations, help us to recognize that you are there with us and help us to have your perspective in the midst of that, God. Not that we need to run away from the jail, God, but we need to, to seek out and, and speak life into the, the life of the jailer. God, give us your perspective. Heavenly Father, as we come into contact with those that you have put in our path, as we, we work through and, and walk through those relationships, we ask that, that our life would be that testimony, that they look at and say, what is different about you? How is it that you can have joy in the midst of this hardship? Help us to be real. Lord, we thank you for this time and we ask that you would, would shape us, transform us. That Holy Spirit, you would bring that fruit of joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 